Well, go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome again, everybody, to Marine Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, um, you know, thank, thank you very much. So I really hope that you don't miss this incredible invitation uh, to the men's barbecue and to the women's conference on Saturday. And, you know, if you haven't met Steve Finkbeiner, you know, he's like, hey, wearing a giant shirt, or, or sometimes he's wearing a, a tie-dye shirt. And what's interesting is it's a strategy because Steve is actually the smartest person I think I've ever met in my entire life. And the truth is I'm actually really intimidated by Steve. <clears throat> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but what's interesting about Steve is uh, he is so generous, and he's always inviting people um, to be a part of his life, to be a part of his house. And I'm not going to lie, I've almost missed out on this invitation completely. Um, Steve, you know, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and so Steve would always be like, hey, let's, let's be together, let's have dinner together, come over. And I'm like, you're Steve Finkbeiner, I'm too busy, I don't want to reveal how stupid I am, or whatever. And so I just put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off, until finally, you know that, like, we've been asked enough times, and you kind of have this shame, you're like, I guess we're making this thing happen. And so we go and have dinner, and I am blown away, I'm mesmerized by the spread. And, uh, and Steve is an incredible cook, it is the most generous outpouring of food, and food is my love language, and, uh, and I just ate everything I could. I had meat sweats. I mean, it was like, it put me out, you know, um, and it was, it was super fun, but what I realized is that Steve has this really unique strategy, because food is just a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an invitation, but that's not all that's there. It's just simply to lay the ground um, even, to let Steve know, to let you know that Steve loves you and cares for you and sees you. And then you don't even realize this, but as he talks with you, he actually cares and wants to know you and get to know you. And, uh, and over the last few years, I feel like I have just, my just grown in my affection for you, Steve. I'm thankful that we're friends. And any, every single time there's any opportunities to spend time with Steve, I am there. I will clear the calendar. I have something that's on the 5th. And I told Katie, well, we are, we're, we're making it happen. Oh, give me some sugar, baby. I love it. All right. Now this is going to make you even more uncomfortable, Steve, because um, in a very similar way, um, Jesus offers us these invitations uh, to be with him and to know him and to be in relationship with him. But it's usually really subtle and really gentle, unless like he's coming hard after you and you've really screwed up, then sometimes it's like a punch in the face. But for most people, it's this really subtle and gentle invitation. There's this uh, parable that Jesus tells about the, the kingdom of God, and it's like this banquet. And there's this giant spread of food, and he wants his people to be there. But there's all these excuses. It's Thursday, and it's Saturday. I have too much going on. I have too busy. And they miss out. And, and Jesus is like, listen, I am going to have a spread of food and my table is going to be full. And if you chumps are going to miss it, then I'm going to keep finding people until my table is full. And I love uh, that, Jesus, that, that Steve is kind of a, a type of that for me, someone who sees me and loves me and invites me. But even more, I love that Jesus extends that invitation to all of us. And this morning, man, I would hate for you to miss the really small and gentle invitation to come around the table of Jesus. As you know, we're making our way through the series of what is in the Bible and why. And today we're going to talk about the Gospels. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus. And at the end of, of, of John, chapter 20, uh, the author, John, says this. So Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. 
And so we have these written testimonies of this person of Jesus, but they're not everything that Jesus did, right? Jesus was alive for 33 years or so. He had a three-year ministry. He interacted with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in a variety of ways. And we have these four documented accounts, but these four documented accounts are written for a very specific purpose. They're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life According to his name, you may be adopted into the family of God. You may be a partner in the expanding kingdom of God. You are seen and known and loved by God. And so that's where we find ourselves in the gospel. So the gospels, what are they? They're an invitation to believe and to receive this everlasting life. Now, before we hop into this passage of scripture, it's helpful to understand what is the gospel. Now, we've been preaching all summer through the scriptures. And really, it's this giant arc, the story of God. And what's the story of God? That God, we were created in the image of God. Michael preached this epic sermon about we're made in the image of God. Male and female, we are made in his image. We have dignity. All human beings on the face of the planet have dignity and worth because we're made in the image of God. But we're rebellious people. And because of our rebellion, we've been separated from God. And the whole rest of the story is God working out his redemptive plan to be, bring us back into relationship with him. And you have the story of Abraham, where Abraham becomes the father of all these people, this people group in which the Savior is going to come. And really a picture of what it means to be adopted into the family of God. They get sent into slavery. They end up in Egypt and become slaves. And they get rescued from slavery. And God creates this treaty with his people. Says, listen, I love you. And I'm inviting you into this covenant with me to behave this way. And I'll behave back with you. And because they're human beings, sometimes they did a great job with it. Sometimes they did an awful job with it. And then we went through the history books and you, we learned about the kings and the judges and the kings and the, some of the kings that followed God, some of the kings that were rebellious towards God. And then you had the wisdom literature, the Psalms about worship, and you have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes about wh- the right ways to live. And then last week we talked about the prophets, these men of God who spoke on behalf of God, talked about judgment talked about repentance and bring back, brought back into right relationship with God and ultimately to point us towards Jesus. So all of that was this history of God. And then there was a silent period for about 400, 450 years. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And the gospel accounts are the account of the story, the culmination of the good news of God, which is that God in his actual being, the third person, the second person of the Trinity comes and is a human being to live among his people, to show us what it means to be fully human, the best version of humanity, to teach wisdom, to, um, to stand up against the oppressors, to heal people, to care for people, um, and ultimately to die on the cross for our sins as a sacrament, as, a, as an atoning sacrifice and then rising to, so that, from the dead again, so that sin and death has no place in this new kingdom. And ultimately an invitation for you and to me to be partners with God in this ever-expanding kingdom. And that is the gospel. And the, the gospels is the culmination of that story. Now the question is, why are there four gospels? And I've been thinking about this a ton. Why are there four gospels? And they're all different. And, and people would always get on my case like, oh, they're all different and, and there's so many dis- inconsistencies and that's why you can't trust the scriptures. But I think the four gospels are actually the, something God wanted intentionally to happen. If there was just one gospel narrative and that was the only story we have, you just know in our human nature, we would just go, oh, apparently to heal blind people, we spit on mud and we rub it in people's eyes. That must be how that works, right? Every single thing that Jesus did, we would take 
verbatim, very literally, and try to apply it. But because we have four gospels, because we have four different accounts, we actually have to approach people just as the same that Jesus did, very individually about their unique situation, their unique issues, and care for them the way that God wants to. And you see Jesus do that over and over and over again. And so these four gospel accounts, they're all written from a different perspective. They're not necessarily written as history, and they're not necessarily written as journalism, but they are theological accounts. They are a theological take on this person of Jesus, helping their audience understand this unique picture of who Jesus is. And there's four of them. So first there's Matthew. And Matthew, the big picture idea is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. The whole gospel of Matthew, there's so many references to the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, some of the commentators think that Matthew was put together in the same way that the Torah was. There's five main teachings, just like the five main books of the Torah. And that Matthew is making the argument that Jesus is this Messiah that we've been hearing about um, from the entire Old Testament. The second is Mark. And this, this picture of Mark is that Jesus, he's the suffering servant of God. And he's referred to, Jesus referred to as the son of God, and the man of God over and over again, that he is this person of authority, but yet suffers for the sake of all humanity. And what's interesting is Mark was probably written to the church in Rome and Rome was undergoing or was about to undergo this incredible persecution. And how encouraging it must be if you're about to undergo this persecution that the, your savior, Jesus the Christ, walked through all that ahead of you. And then you have Luke, and Luke is the one gospel written by a non-Jewish person to another non-Jewish person. And it's this orderly account. Mark, I mean, yeah, Mark was a, um, traveled with Peter, and Luke traveled with Paul. And Luke basically came up with this orderly account of the story of Jesus. It's the most literary of all the gospels, and it's an incredible incredible document. And what's interesting about the story of Jesus and Luke is that Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. That Jesus is not just the Messiah for the Jewish people or for the God-fearers who become Jewish. He is the Savior for the whole world. And there's actually a sequel, which is the book of Acts, which we'll talk about next week. And then and those three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are the synoptic gospels. You may have heard that term, the synoptic gospels. But it means looking, you know, looking at the same, this, this, the similar, um, shoot, I totally blanked on what it means. Yeah, one view. Thank you. Too much happening in my head right now, but it's this one view. So, and what that is, is all three of these books have very similar content. And depending, you know, the original um, tradition was that Matthew was written first, and then about seven or 800 um, AD, um, they thought, well, maybe Mark was written first. And then there's like, then even later, it's like, well, maybe there's this person Q, and they, who was written first? And there's this big question of who was written first and who used what? But here's the deal. This was the church. The church shared stories of Jesus. And however the gospel orders were written, that's not the point. In fact, Christians believe that the gospels are basically like a picture of Jesus. They're fully God and fully human. And we can trust that they are the story of Jesus passed on through time, shepherded by the church down to us. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels. And then you have John, which is written in a totally different style with a totally different approach. And, uh, it's, and it's totally pastoralized. John, at the end of his life, Jesus' best friend, you know, at the end of his life, writes this incredible account of who Jesus is. And Jesus is God incarnate. God becoming human being and inviting us to believe in him. And part of the reason why many pastors and Christians ask new Christians to read John is because John does such a great job of not just telling the story of Jesus, but he actually explains it along the way. And so if you're like, well, why did Jesus do that? What does that mean? John inserts these theological understandings so people can understand the story of Jesus along the way. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And part of it, and what's incredible is as you read through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus 
interacted with every single person uniquely. And I think that's the best thing because Jesus could just show up and say, this is who I am. And if you want to be my follower, this is what it's going to look like. And just be very directive and authoritative. And the people who wanted that would follow him. But instead, he understands the very person he's talking with and he gives them what they need. So in John chapter 20, right before that passage I read is the story of Thomas. And if you, if you know where this is in the Bible, at the end uh, of the story of John, Jesus dies, he wrote, rises again, and he comes to the disciples. But when he comes to the disciples, uh, Thomas is not there. So now we're in uh, chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples with Jesus, when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the nail where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And it's so funny. I've always used to read this and be like, gosh, Thomas is such a punk. Could you imagine being a follower of Christ, having the, uh, you know, the 10 other guys be like, we saw the risen Lord. You're like, no, you got to see him. But unless I see him, unless I do this thing, I will not believe. But what I love is Jesus' gentleness and tenderness towards Thomas. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he looks and he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my side. Now stop doubting and believe. And I just think, what an incredible, incredible picture. And I think, love that Thomas says the quiet part out loud. Because I think if we're honest, all of us kind of throw little temper tantrums towards God. And we just need God to show up. And sometimes we get our theology in the way, we're like, well, why would God do this? Or why would God do that? But I think in our heart of hearts, we want God to show up and we need him to show up. And usually we need him to show up in a really specific way. And you look at all the different people in our church, we all need him to show up in a different way. The way that I need Jesus to show up is different than the way that someone else is going to need Jesus to show up. And Jesus in his generosity and his graciousness, I think meets us exactly where we're at. Thomas said, I need this from you. Jesus says, okay, here you go. This is what you need from me. And when you read through the gospel stories, you realize that Jesus meets all these different people in the exact way that they needed it. And when I was thinking about my own story, I realized one of the stories of, of Jesus' interactions that really resonates with me is the story of Zacchaeus. And at first it was because he was a short, fat guy, um, but I'm not short and fat anymore. Um, but that really resonated with me. But I'm not a tax collector, um, so how does it resonate with me? But I, as I realized and as I reflected, Zacchaeus is this incredible guy. He has this warm heart towards God. He wants to understand who this Jesus is. He doesn't really know. And he's willing to actually like climb up to this tree and just wants to see what the commotion is all about. Right from the outside. That's me. I'm a five on the Enneagram. I want to be in the very back of the room, always looking and observing. I don't want anyone to see me, see what I'm doing. And that's, and that's Zacchaeus. But Jesus turns and says, Zacchaeus, you, up in the tree, I see you. And as a five, as, as, as someone who's an introvert, someone who does not want to be seen, right? That's like, that is horrifying. And imagine even being a tax collector, someone who's just hated by the whole crowd. And Jesus says, I see you and I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus comes down and his life is changed. And Jesus affirms, says, you are a son of Abraham. In fact, you've always been a son of Abraham, but you need to remember that you are a true son of Abraham. And I just think, gosh, how generous is Jesus? I mean, that is my story. I grew up in a non-religious home. I grew up where religion wasn't a big thing for us, but I always had this warm heart towards God. And I went to camp as a kid and somewhere along the way, for no reason, for no like intentional ministry strategy, God just said, Ben, I love you. 
I want you to be in my life. I want to use you. I don't want to work through you. And I said, okay. And out of, for no other reason than Jesus knew who I was, he saw me up in the tree, called me, invited me into his house, and has changed my life forever. Katie wishes he would change my life more, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm working on it. And so, but, but, but every, every encounter is like that all throughout the scriptures. So I want you to think, um, I'm gonna give you 10 seconds. So you think of all the encounters that Jesus had in the gospels. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that there's one that resonates with you. And in fact, for the last two weeks, I knew I was preaching on this. Every single person I was with, I had, I had dinner last night with, with Chuck and Stephanie and I asked, Chuck, what, what's this for you, right? Every single person I've been around, like, what's that story for you? And almost every single person was able to say something and they had a different story. So I'm just gonna, I just wanna, we're gonna say them out loud. Like, what is 150 people stories that matter to Jesus, okay? So just think about it. I count to three and you're just gonna say it out loud and we'll see if I can hear them. These are the stories that resonate with you that you've been encountered uh, from an encounter with Jesus, okay? One, two, three. Okay, one more time. I got this earpiece in my ear. All right, one more time, one. Yeah, so many, right? Right, but there's, but there's so many. And what's so great is they're so different. Right? There's the woman at the well, this totally sinful, estranged Samaritan woman that Jesus not only sees, ends up giving the best teaching of worship ever to her. There, right, there's people who are, who are blind and lame that are healed. There's people that are healed because of a French faith, not has anything to do with them. There's people who are tormented by demons, running naked in graveyards and are freed from spiritual oppression. And in our context, we don't really talk about spiritual oppression so much, but there are people even in our context who have struggled with spiritual oppression and Jesus has rescued them. That story does not resonate with me. Zacchaeus resonates with me, but the naked guy running through the fields, Jesus heals him, right? Over and over again, he, he cared for wealthy people. He cared for poor people. He cared for, you know, Nicodemus was this, this, this Bible teacher and Jesus could have like just been super snarky and cut him off like he did to all these other Pharisees. But he knew Nicodemus was not a self-righteous Bible teacher. He was a Pharisee who loved God and just wanted to understand the scriptures and Jesus gave it to him. I love it. Every single one of us has a different encounter with Jesus. We all need a different encounter with Jesus. And I think we need to be bold and ask Jesus to show up in those ways and trust that he will. And when we read the gospels over and over and over again, we see that Jesus meets every single person exactly where they're at in a very unique, unique way. I wanted to invite up uh, Chad, Ashton, and Danny to share. You, uh, you guys all blurted it out, which is great, but I want to give these guys a couple minutes to just get another perspective, some different stories of how Jesus has interacted with you guys. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, you know, it's interesting because I do really love reading the New Testament and all about the miracles that Jesus performed. Um, that's probably one of my, it's probably my, one of my favorite things to, to read in the New Testament. The first being the, when he flipped over the table. I just, I don't know. I thought that, <laughs> I like that because it helps me not be so guilty when I get upset. So, <laughs> but um, other than that, I would love it if you all would do just like what Ben did and share you know, what is, some, what is one of the miracles or one of the stories in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the gospel specifically, that really resonate with you when it comes to reading about Jesus and what he did? 
Well, actually, I was reading Pastor Ben's book, um, From the Pen to the Palace, and when I was reading the story of the prodigal son, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's my story. Um, but I was reading, I was like, oh, and he, the heaven, the father, and the father just welcomed him back, even after they went off the unbeaten path. And I was like, I'm going to be waiting a while for my parents to like welcome me back full-heartedly for who I am. And I kind of was like upset about it. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, wait, I'm loved, I'm seen, I feel warmth every day when I come into this church. Mm-hmm. And every person I've met and connected with, including you, Danny, I'm like, oh, I, I want more. Like, and you all love me for who I am, and I'm grateful every day for the fact that I went off the unbeaten path of what my parents wanted. So thank you. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm, it, it is a blessing to know that God uses, you know, the church or people to fill those voids as he's healing our hearts. And that is a perfect story of how Jesus did that. So that's great. Thanks for that. What about you, Chad? Uh, For me, the parable of the Good Samaritan has been on my mind lately. For years, I thought Samaritan just referred to a good person. But uh, in Jesus' time, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans as they were half Jew, half Gentile, which is a familiar predicament for me. Yet uh, Jesus ministered to the Samaritans and in Luke, he elevates them above the priest and the levy as the one who goes to help it, heaven for helping out a neighbor. For me, I'm happy to help out my neighbor, the one that I like and I'm friends with. <laughs> Yet I struggle to help someone who I, might, who I might categorize as an enemy or even someone who seems different from me. In full honesty, lately, sometimes I struggle to help those who I love the most. Uh, these days, I need Jesus' love and teachings in my life more than ever, and I pray on this lesson. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because, you know, that Good Samaritan is, is used so clichely in our society, but to give that real meaning that you just provided um, gives us reflection of like, you know what, this is who God called us to be. So thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, if I think about the one of the miracles that really resonated with me is the one that talks about when um, Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. And not so much the fact that he, you know, that he healed her or anything like that. It was the fact that he said, your faith is what made you well. It's because of her willingness, her diligence, her tenacity. She's like, I've got to get to Jesus because she just knew that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And it just makes me think about for me, like, how often do we say, like, I just need to get into Jesus' presence, if I could just get to church, if I could just get to my small group, if I could just get to that prayer troop, if I could just listen to that one worship song, I know I'll feel better. And I think that's the part that I love about what Jesus shares in that story, is that it's not so much the physical things that we're doing, it's our faith that proves to us that if I can get there, I know that's where healing, that's where joy, that's where peace will be. So, yeah. Thanks for allowing us this time, Ben. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I just think it's so mesmerizing. My favorite thing about being a pastor is hearing people's stories and to recognize the way that Jesus just uniquely encounters everybody differently. And, uh, and it actually encourages my faith. It actually builds me up when I realize people who are so different from me um, encounter Christ, the living God. And really, the Gospels, right, at the end of the day, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written so that you would believe, so that you would believe and be adopted into the God's family as a daughter, as a son, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a partner in the kingdom of God. And because we're the body of Christ, we are all different. We're all going to have different functions and different gifts and different passions, which means we're also going to encounter God a little bit differently. And I love that Jesus models that over and over and over again. And so what I wanted to do is I just wanted to make a little space um, for you and for me, guys like Mike, who've been Christians forever and ever and ever, um, that's great. But even though we, we, we have known Jesus forever, walked with Jesus forever and ever, we still need to daily be moving towards Christ. The thing I love about our church and this pietistic posture is that we never arrive. It's not we just know these things about Jesus and then we're done. It's every day, week in and week out, we are continually moving towards Christ. We're asking God to continue to mold us and shape us, to transform us, to sanctify us, and to use us. Because in every season of our life, we are going to need different things from Jesus, and Jesus is going to use us in different ways. And so there's different seasons of life where the stories of Jesus matter differently. And so if you this morning love Jesus, you love the Word, you're so thankful for the ministry of Jesus, then what a great gift it is to affirm God's love and affection for you and to thank God for seeing you and reminding you of your first love of the way that he called you and saved you and maybe have your eyes reopened for the different ways that God may be doing that to your friends and family and people in your spheres of influence. And so there's this affirmation and thankfulness that God continues to see us and invite us. There's some people who are really just down in the dumps this has been an awful year, a challenging year. Things with our friends and our family and our job. You know, it's funny. I really resonated. I, the hardest part of COVID, I did great. And once things got like calm, all of a sudden I found myself crashing and burning a little bit. Like it's just this weird spiritual thing that had nothing to do with my surroundings at all. And I love the story of Jesus, right? There's a, a, one, of the, one of the people that Jesus encounters. He wants to heal them. He says, I want you to heal me. I want to have faith, but, you know, give me, you know, gosh, I totally blanked. I want to... I, Help me in my unbelief. I know. Thank you. Right. That's the thing, right? So I want to believe, but help me in my unbelief. That's cool. Like Jesus, one of the encounters with people is someone struggling with faith and Jesus not blowing them off but going, no, help me in my unbelief. And then there's people who don't even know who the love of Christ is, who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for them. And Jesus comes and cares for them, embraces them, sees them, sits down with them. And maybe this morning you've been warm-hearted towards God. You've been around the church for a long time and you're moving, moving towards Christ but maybe this is the morning that you recognize, nope, you're not just gonna be around the family of God, but this is the morning where you're gonna actually embrace Jesus. You're gonna believe, you're gonna trust, you're gonna actually put your trust in Jesus and be adopted into the family of God. It's one thing to be a, a, a guest in the house of God and eat everything in the fridge, but God wants more than you just to be a guest. He wants you to be a daughter and a son with all the rights, with all the responsibilities to be in the family of God, to partner with other Christians to be God's witness here in Marin. Gosh, this is an incredible church, an incredible witness. And the way that it works is for the, this church to be people who are wholehearted and it's walking um, closely to Christ so that the Holy Spirit moves in us and through us. The fragrance of Christ is here, which means that people who are warm-hearted towards God, like a moth to a flame, get to come and encounter him here. But that only works if we are doing the daily work of moving towards Christ. So if you've been doing this forever and ever, gosh, what an affirmation and continue to affirm your love for Christ. If you're struggling with faith this morning, how great that Jesus sees you and actually wants to help you in your unbelief. If you've been warm-hearted, maybe this is the morning that God's gonna invite you to be part of his family. And maybe you're like Thomas and you're just like, I just do not get this and I am not gonna believe until I see this. You know what? I challenge you. I dare you to pray that prayer. 
I am not going to believe unless this happens. Man, do that. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. And if you ask, it'll be answered. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door will be open. So pray that rebellious prayer. And then in two months, you call me up and take me out to a meal and tell me all, <laughs> all about it. All right. Well, this morning, no matter where we're at, let's come open-handed and open-hearted towards God. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, so thankful for the story of Scripture culminating in the work and person of Jesus Christ who showed up in real history, in real time, interacted with real people. And yet now through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you show up for us this morning. And so I'm thankful, I just wanna pray a special prayer for people in this room who just love you and are committed to you and are working out their walk with you. I pray that you continue to keep their hearts soft towards you. They would enjoy your presence. They would enjoy your affirmation and that you give them a wide view of what it means to be your children, to serve others, to be your hands and your feet in every context that you find them. And I lift up my friends who are struggling in faith, who want to believe, but we just need help in our unbelief. And we just wanna embrace your posture of gentleness and care for those of us whose faith is a little wilted, a little struggling. We long to be somewhere that we're not, so we ask for your patience and your generosity towards us. And for us in the body of Christ, that we would come around one another and build each other up as we continue to follow you. And maybe there's people in this room who've been around the church a while and have been warm-hearted towards your movement, towards your invitation, have enjoyed all the goodies of being around your table, but maybe this is the morning through the ministry of your Holy Spirit that you are calling on them, inviting them to take a step of faith and say, no, I no longer wanna just be a guest. I wanna be adopted into your family to be seen as a precious daughter and a precious son. I pray for them, God, that you would protect their faith, that you would give them the guts for that step of faith and that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit that you would make their salvation sure and that they would experience the ministry of your Holy Spirit as you mold and shape and empower them for your kingdom work. And for my rebellious friends, I'm so thankful that you have a heart for them as well. For Thomas, who's like, I am not gonna believe until this happens. I just pray that my rebellious friends would be gutsy. What is it that you need from Jesus? that you would ask for it. And Jesus, because of your generosity, because of your grace, because of your mercy, I pray that you would do more than we could ever ask or imagine and you'd meet them and that they too would encounter and experience your grace and your mercy. The gospel, the good news of you, Jesus Christ coming to earth, living, teaching, healing, ultimately dying on the cross to cover all of our sins but even more so rising from the dead to conquer death, to pass on the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we get to not only be part of your family, but to be partners with you with the ever-expanding kingdom of God. Have your way with me personally, with us individually, but even more so with us corporately. May we bless you and honor you as we continue to walk towards you and worship you. Amen, amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.